Open our Bibles to the book of Job, chapter 27. And we got down to verse 5. And Job is answering uh, Bildad. And he began that answer in chapter 26. And we're in chapter 27, verse 5. Bildad spoke in chapter 25, and he just spoke in six verses that we have recorded here. And Job begins to answer in chapter 26, verse 1, and we read down to chapter 27, verse 5. And the last words we read about Job is he says, God forbid that I should justify you, that's verse 5, till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. In other words, he wouldn't admit that Bildad or any of the others uh, had spoken that which was right concerning him. In verse 6, he says, My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Job wanted them to know very sure that he felt that he was right with God, in spite of all the accusations that they had brought against him. You know, a lot of times people bring accusations that are just not true. And uh, there are... There are those that are false witnesses. There are those that are, are prejudiced. There are those that misunderstand. There are, are those that do not know all the details and will accuse you falsely. And Job says, you brethren, you friends of mine, he says, I'll hold fast my righteousness, will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. He knew he wanted to be right in heart. And if you're right with God, you can take the accusations of, of many people. There are a lot of people that don't want to do right. There are some people that have that as their integrity. They just desire to do right and want to do right. And I used to think of a, a little thing we used to say, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we begin. We try to deceive. If you try to deceive anyone, you're going to just make that web stronger all the time. And the first thing you know, it's going to be very, very tangled. Job was not that kind though they accused him of it. In verse seven, verses 7 through 10, Job expresses the, the dread he had of that hypocrisy which they had accused him of. And he says in verse uh, 7, Let mine enemy be as, as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Now, they had accused Job of being a hypocrite, but he knew that a hypocrite didn't have a very good uh, future. And so Job says, what is the hope of a hypocrite, though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul? He knew he was not guilty of anything like that. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? That's a question. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? In other words, there's two aspects here. What God will do when the hypocrite cries and what he will do. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? This hypocrite will not delight in the Almighty. Will he always call upon God? He will not do that. He says, I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the, Al with the Almighty will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? These men that had accused Job have seen that really what happens to the hypocrite is what... Job was predicting. He was elaborating, actually, on what they had spoken. But their problem was that they had accused Job of being that. You know, what they said about the hypocrite was true, that God would deal with them and that they would not gain by their hypocrisy or their wickedness or whatever. 
And Job was just elaborating what they said, but he says, now listen, it doesn't apply to me. I don't believe that I'm that. And he says, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? This is the portion of the wicked man from verses 13 on down. Uh, he begins to show us the portion of the wicked man uh, with God. And the heritage of the oppressors. This is what they will inherit. Which they shall receive of the Almighty. He shows the miserable end of the wicked in this next exposition that we're about to, to read. And even though they may uh, long prosper, and he shows the curse that attends them, and is entailed or comes upon their families as well, their heritage. In verse uh, 14 he says, If his children be multiplied, it is for the sword. And his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. No satisfaction, always dissatisfaction, whatever happens. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death. And his widows shall not weep. By the way, sometimes the uh, Bible changes in the Old Testament from singular to plural. And when it says in his widows, it means that all of those that are hypocrites, it doesn't mean that this justifies uh, having more than one wife. It doesn't mean this man should have more than one wife. And that his widows, when it says his widows, it means in general speaking of more than one wicked man. Their widows, actually. It says, uh, Those that remain of him shall not uh, shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust, and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver. It will finally turn out to people that deserve it. They can lay up all they want to. A lot of times wicked men lay up great treasures, and things happen, and in the providence of God, those that they would least suspect end up inheriting and, inheriting and using that which the wicked have laid up for themselves and their families. And in the process of things, laws, inheritance, various uh, turnings in God's providence and dealings with man, it doesn't turn out like we always think. Are all of you warm enough out there? Is it too cold? Fine. Okay. So we find that those things do happen. And that uh, wicked men, they lay up, look, though he heap up silver, verse 16, as the dust, and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, that's well and good, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver. He buildeth his house of the moth, and as a, as a, a booth that the keeper maketh, the rich man shall lie down, but he shall not be gathered. He openeth his eyes, and he is not. He shows the things that happen to wicked men. Terrors take hold on him as waters. A tempest stealeth him away in the night. The east wind carrieth him away, and he departeth. And as a storm hurleth him out of his place. For God shall cast upon him and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hand. Men shall clap their hands at him, and shall hiss him out of his place. In chapter 28, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see how that men seek worldly wealth and the hazards they risk and run to get it. Verses 1 through 11. Look at this. They seek worldly wealth. And it can be found. It is in this world. We're going to find where it's hidden. The great difficulty in obtaining it. And yet that men are just try to go after it one way or another. They're going to get worldly wealth. Let's read this. 
Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. It says there's silver. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten uh, out of the stone. He setteth an end of darkness and searcheth out all uh, perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant, inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is uh, turned up as it were fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires, and it hath the dust of gold. Look at that. In other words, he's saying that the wealth of this world is hidden in the earth. It can it cannot be obtained without a great deal of difficulty. They have to mine it and search for it and and seek it out and refine it. And yet men are going to try to get it regardless. And notice what it says in verse 7. There is a path which no fowl knoweth and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whips have not trodden it, nor the fierce line passed by it. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock. He overturneth the mountains by the roots. He cutteth out the rivers among the rocks, and his eye seeth very every precious thing. He bindeth the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to life. We find that these 11 verses tell us how men seek worldly wealth and all that they have to do to try to dig it out of the earth and to get it and yet God is in control of it all he cutteth out the rivers among the rocks and then verse 11 he bindeth the floods from overflowing the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light and then it talks about God's wisdom in verse 11 I mean verse 12 we begin concerning wisdom it says but where shall wisdom be found look at that question where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding we're told about wisdom and where it's found, the price of getting it, and how great a value it is. And the place is very secret. In particular, there is a wisdom, a wisdom that is hidden, and it, which is hidden in God. It's hidden in God and cannot be found in, other, in any other place. But it's obtainable by men. There's a wisdom which is revealed to the children of men. Verse 28 says, And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. But as we begin to read, let's read verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof. Neither is it found in the land of the living. Where is it found? Man knoweth not the price thereof. And it's not found upon this earth. The depth saith it, saith, it is not in me. And the sea saith, it is not with me. Well, then where is it? It can, cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. So the preciousness of wisdom is seen that it cannot even be priced. Verse 15 says, it cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. You can't buy wisdom. You can't price wisdom. It's above the price. In verse 16, look, it cannot be equal as far as value is concerned. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir and with the precious onyx or the sapphire. These precious stones. Wisdom is greater than all precious stones that you might imagine. Even gold. Remember there was the gold that uh, Solomon sent for? And... Uh, he wanted shiploads of treasures. 
and he made ships to go to Ophar for gold. And it says, uh, it cannot be way valued with the gold of Ophar and with the precious onyx or the sapphire. You cannot value. And then in verse 17, it cannot be equaled. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it. You know, a lot of people think the worldly treasures are more valuable. And He says the wisdom of God, God's wisdom, it comes from God. Where is wisdom to be found? We'll find in the place in a minute. But here it tells us the gold and the crystal cannot equal it. So all that a man may possess of the gold or silver or precious stones will not equal the wisdom that can be gotten and that is available for men. You know, James says, If any among you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And it says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He says, He that wavereth is like a wind, a wave tossed by the wind. And he says, The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he says, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. So the way to get wisdom is to realize first we lack wisdom. Lack means do not have and possess all that we need. If any among you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we have to confess our, our uh, inability to have it and that we do not have the, all the wisdom that we need. And so then when we ask of God, we ask in faith, believing because God has told us that if we'll ask, he will give it to us. And nothing wavering. That passage in James. Let me read it for you. I think it'd be good to read it verse by verse. Wisdom through prayer. Verses chapter one, verses five through eight. Let me read the whole passage. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So nothing wavering. Look at this again. In Job 28, we said in verse 17, it cannot be equaled. Verse 18 says, No mention shall be made of coral or pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The price of it is above rubies. He says, The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal to it. We said it cannot be equaled. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not be equal to it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Here, you talk about the real spiritual values. Where are they to be found? In all the precious metals and gold and, uh, 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 and silver and precious stones upon this earth. Is that where real wisdom? It's not, that's not wisdom. That's wealth. That's riches. And that's earthly riches. But it's not heavenly wisdom. It cannot be equaled in these verses. Notice the word equal in verse 17 and again in verse 19. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it. That's verse 17. Uh, look, verse 19. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it. Neither shall it be valued with pure gold. And it says, Whence then cometh wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. Look, it says in verse 23, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. 
the way and the place. That's whence wisdom can be discovered. God has the way and the place thereof. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under uh, the whole heaven. God sees everything, and therefore he is filled with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And then it says in verse 25, To make the weight for the winds, and the way he weigheth the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. So wisdom is with God. It says, Then did he see it. And declare it. He prepared it. Yea, and searched it out. Before we read verse 28, uh, we know in the New Testament that the Bible says that Christ is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. These are four great things that all of us need. And Christ is made. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the book of Colossians. I believe you'll find in chapter 2, verse 3. It says, in him are hidden. Remember the things that they had to dig for that were hidden in the earth to get the wealth of that? But it says, in him are hidden all the treasures, like treasures are, are like gold and silver in the earth, isn't it? And the root and the precious stones that are taken out. And he says, in him are hidden precious stones and gold, or the wisdom of God. All the treasures, treasures, the word is used in Colossians 2 verse 3, of wisdom and knowledge. So if we want wisdom and knowledge, let's go to, to the Lord and find them in Him and in His Word and in His uh, character, in His being, in His purpose, in His plan, in His uh, salvation that He's provided. You'll find in Him all the details, all the inner weavings of this wisdom that men can have. It's priceless, isn't it? And it's precious. And then we find that it is available to men. Look in verse 28. It says, And unto man he's he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. In other words, if you want wisdom, you not only must reverence God, but in reverencing God, you will obey God and depart from evil that he has condemned. You know, no man will receive the wisdom that's hidden in God and be rebellious toward God. See, And to depart from evil is understanding. See that? You won't receive the wisdom of God if you're rebellious toward God and to His commandments and His Word. That's what he's saying here. Unto man, behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? That's standing in awe in the presence of God. That's respect for God, reverence for God. And in reverence for God, we'll certainly want to be obedient to God, right? And we'll want to obey His Word. We want to follow His uh, guidance and leadership and walk in His ways. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Let me read it for you. It says this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. He says, get it. He says in verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. If you have Proverbs 4, if you haven't turned there, let me just give it to you. In verse 1, he says, Hear ye, children, the instruction of the Father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Good doctrine in verse 2. Verse 5, he says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not. In other words, to remember it. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. 
In verse 6, he says, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. When you get something, you decide to get it. You, you make up your mind. This is your decision. When, when uh, Solomon says, get wisdom, he means you decide that you want to get this. He says, exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou doest embrace her. Embrace means to love it, right? And she's going to bring you to honor. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory shall uh, she deliver to thee. Morally and practically right. He says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. He says, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. It has a way. I have led thee in right paths, godly ways. The path of wisdom is spoken of. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Look at that verse. Take fast hold of instruction. See, a lot of people don't want to be instructed. Therefore, they're not going to get wisdom. That's just simple as that. It says, let her not go. Even if they hear instruction, they're going, they, they have to have a desire to hold on to it. And then it says, keep her, for she is what? Thy life. She's thy life. Okay, back in uh, Job chapter 28, verse 28. And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. So you have to depart from it, do you not? Okay, Job 29. Job continues his answer. Remember we mentioned last... Uh, I think in her last lesson or two, that uh, Bildad had his last word in chapter 25, and he spoke in six verses. If you just kind of turn pages and follow along with me. Chapter 25, he had six verses when he uh, again uh, spoke to Job. And Job begins his answer in chapter 26. Look at 26.1. But Job answered and said, and we just read it and finished that. Chapter 27 says, Moreover, Job continued his parable. That's verse 1. And he continues it through chapter 28. And then in chapter 29, it says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said. So Job just keeps on speaking. He says, You fellows have had your turn. Now then, you've spoken so much and accused me of so much. I have the floor now and I'm going to speak. <laughs> it's pretty good when a guy gets the floor and he knows he has a, an answer to give. And so Job says, it's my turn. You guys have spoken enough. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. You know, Job begins to describe the height of his uh, prosperity and the depth of his uh, adversity by saying when. You know, he looks back to what had happened. Notice in verse 2. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when. Notice the word when, when, when. When God preserved me. When his candle, verse 3, follow it down. When his candle shined upon my head. When God's light shined upon him. And when by his light I walked through darkness. He was my light in the midst of darkness. Notice when. In fact, if you've got your pencil, you might underline when. When in verse 2, 
When in verse 3? When again in verse 3? I was, verse 4 now, I was in the days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. When I was real close to God. When the secret of God, the blessings of God, when I was very close to God, was in uh, upon my tabernacle. He means his own person. He's referring to himself. Verse 5. When the Almighty was yet with me. God's presence. Verse 5. When my children were about me. Before this tragedy happened. Verse 6. When I washed my steps with butter. And the rock poured out rivers of oil. In other words, he was tremendously blessed from God. In verse 7. When. When I went out to the gate through the city. When he went out to the gate, this was a place of honor, wasn't it? When I prepared my seat in the street, people respected him. Honor and respect. Look, verse 8. The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. Young men uh, were rather overwhelmed by his presence. You see, they hid themselves. Well, here comes Job. And the aged arose and stood up. The princes, look, refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. Job said, I wish that was like it was then. I'll tell you, we all have to pass from the time of what things were until what they are. And it's so sad for us to, to live in the past, really. You can't live in the past. You have to take things for today. We all dread the future, and especially old age and departure from honor and respect and power and all. And it need not be if we will maintain our integrity before God. But the thing about it is, uh, if you find uh, people growing old and they can't face the fact that, uh, that things have happened during life that have... That you know, they can't always live back what and, and live like they once lived. You can't always do what you used to do. Something to think about. Job is going, when, 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 isn't he? That's all that he's concerned about. He says, the princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. He says, the nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. The honor he had in his own country. He says, when the ear heard me. Look at verse 11. There's another when. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when, there's another one. The eye saw me, it gave witness to me. And here's the reason. In verse 12, he begins, why? Because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The poor that cried, and the fatherless, the orphan. And him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came uh, upon me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Job was a good man in every respect. And then he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. By the way, it will be the best clothing you can wear. Is to do right. Sometimes when I deal with people, I, I'm amazed at how they want to want to do. I really am. Especially, you know, to do things that are not right in the sight of God and in the sight of men. And I won't bring up examples at this point in time. Look in verse uh, 
14 again. I will put put on righteousness and it clothed me. And my judgment was a robe and a diadem. You see, it always pays to live right, to be honest, to do right. And when people start trying to, to say, well, you know, this is profitable for me if I can just be a little fraudulent here or a little dishonest here. You're going to pay for it, friend. I don't care. When you start doing that, it's going to become more than just a one-time thing. You better learn to do right from jump go in the sight of God and with fellow man. He says, uh, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. What a good clothing. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. Notice from now on he says, uh, what he was. And Job is, is simply stating the facts. He's not break, He's not bragging because he's better than someone else. Job is just trying to show that these men had falsely accused him and that his integrity and his, his way of life and his character and his person that was being accused, it was just not so. And so he's bringing up... You know, one time Paul was forced to do that. Remember when... Uh, Paul, in his apostleship, the brethren started questioning him and said, Well, I just wonder if he's really an apostle. And he says, I'm least of the apostles, but he says the, the signs of an apostle I had. And let me read some scripture for you in the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, when they question uh, Paul, he says, uh, beginning with verse 16, I say again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. Paul says, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He says, you know, Paul was not accustomed to boasting, but he says, that I may boast myself a little. Uh, He says in verse 17, that which I speak, I speak not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. He says, if you fellows just want to glory after the flesh, and what a person is, and what they've done, what they've suffered, and uh, what they've endured, well, he says, if you glory in that, I'll just give you a little insight. And he says, I speak foolishly. Look here. In verse uh, 19, For you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. In other words, this is a bit of irony. He says, you know, you claim to be so wise, you suffer fools gladly. So I can speak now. If, if that's a basis on which you'd like for me to speak, that's the way I'll talk to you. Because you suffer fools gladly. And you're very wise. He says, for you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wheresoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. Notice, princes, I am bold also. He says, if you want to brag about being bold, he says, I'm going to speak foolishly and tell you I'm bold also. Then he says in this, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. If that's what you want to brag about. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 
in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils uh, by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings and often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And he goes on and on. So, at one time, Paul was speaking like Job. He says, well, if you really want to know the, the real situation, I can tell you about myself. Paul knew it wasn't very popular, and it's never very advisable to brag about yourself. But when men keep on questioning your uh, capabilities and questioning uh, your uh, uh they were questioning his apostleship. And, you know, Paul, are you really a, a, a leader? Are you really a teacher? And they had made so much uh, of it that finally he said, okay, I'll give you the straight answer if that's what you want. Now, that's what Job was doing here. In verse 14, he says, I put on righteousness. And notice from now on, uh, chapter 29, verse 14, Job 29, 14 is where we uh, will go on in a moment. But I want you to begin 14 because here's where he starts saying what he did in many ways. I and what I did and I was and I, I break and I said and so on. And I want you to notice each verse how he refers to himself and what he had done simply for the sake of showing these men that he was not a hypocrite and that he had not been uh, unjust to the poor, that he had helped the needy. And he was a man that was generous. He was a man that was uh, thoughtful. He was a man that was was concerned. And so he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. Verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not, I searched it out. He says, if I thought there was any reason to seek out of where this, where the need might be, I did that. And I break the jaws of the wicked. He was a protector and plucked the spoil out of his teeth, he would stand up for what was right. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. His fruitfulness, when the root is spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. They listened to what I said. After my words they spake not again because he had the proper answer. That's why. And my speech dropped upon them. Don't you love to ask someone a question and them have the answer? Instead of, you know, our politicians are real good about it. You can tell when a guy's a politician. You ask him a direct question and he'll give you ten answers and never answer the question you ask. Say, all I want you to do is just answer the question that I asked in the first place. Well, you know, this has to be taken, that has to be, that has to be. And they have a way of just hedging around it and never giving a direct answer. He says, uh, after my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. Verse 23, And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as, the, as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. 
I chose out their way, look at that, and sat chief and dwelt as king in the army, as one that comfort, comforteth the mourners. So Job had a good reputation and honor among these brethren that he uh, had, and the people that he'd lived before and with. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 14, he had lived in great honor, but now he had fallen into disgrace. We're going to find that he's fallen into disgrace. And he says, but now, look at that word now, they that are younger than I have me in derision, no respect, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. He says, I wouldn't even set their fathers with the dogs of my flock. And yet they don't show Job any respect. He says, yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me? in whom old age was perished. For want and famine they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time desolate and waste. He's talking about how he's fallen from that. See in verse 1, but now. That word but now shows what happened to him. Verse 4 says, Who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them after as after a thief, to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys, in the caves of the earth, and in the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed. Uh, under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. This is the kind of people that he had to deal with. And now am I their song, yea, I am their byword. You know why he was their song and byword? They said, look at old Job. Lost all of his family, lost all of his possessions. Look at old Job. He's smitten with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. All of his friends are telling him what's wrong with him and he won't listen to them. You know, three friends telling him that, you know, Job, if you just repent, if you just acquaint yourself with God. Job, if you just start praying again. Well, Job was doing all this. Job was well acquainted with God. He's one that feared God and eschewed evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And eschewed evil. To depart from evil is understanding. Didn't we just read it? The 28th verse. And Job eschewed evil and shunned evil. <clears throat> but he lost everything. And so they're saying, now I'm their song and I'm their byword. And by the way, he's been a byword through the years, hasn't he? Haven't we all known poor old Job? Isn't that about the way you speak of Job? Poor old Job? Or look what Job suffered? And when we look back, that's the way we see him. Now I'm their song, yea, I'm their byword. They abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face. You see, when a man is down, it's a peculiar thing that seems like people want him to get lower. None of these friends had lifted him up. He says, you know, if you were in my place, I would try to have pity on you. Remember when he replied to them at one time? He says, if you fellas, if any of you were like me, I, I believe I would, you know, have pity upon you. I'd speak a kind word to you. But they wouldn't speak anything to Job. And I'll tell you. One of the worst things you can do is when a man is down and out is to put him down further. That's the time to lift up. That's the time uh, that he needs lifting up. And just because a man loses everything or has troubles or problems or trials or sickness or... And you you know, you can be like these three friends of Job and form your own opinion and say, Well, you know, I know the reason it happened to him. 
Remember, one of them said it's because he's a hypocrite. Another one said, well, Job must have been a very big sinner or this wouldn't have happened. God just doesn't punish unless there's sin. And, you know, this is a direct punishment of God. And so he's bound to be a great sinner. And then one of them says, well, Job, you get, God has given you less than you deserve. Well, wouldn't that be something? Well, for a man in Job's shape, shape, for a fellow to come along and say, that's not bad enough. God should bring more upon you than you've gotten. Say, look, friend, I thought this is about enough. But you see, that's what happens. He says in verse 10, they abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not and spare not to spit in my face. Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. There's no bridle upon what they're doing. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet. They raise up against me uh, the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They came upon me as a wide breaking of the, in the waters. In the desolation, they rolled themselves upon me. He's going to see now, verses 15, 16, he had much inward comfort, but now he was a burden to himself and overwhelmed with sorrow. And notice in verse 15 and 16, he says, Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind. And my welfare passes away as a cloud. And now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. Even though he felt himself to be right with God, he, he was overwhelmed with all of these things that happened to him. In verses 17 through 19, he had long enjoyed good health, but now he is sick. Verse 17, my bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease, is my garment changed? It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He casteth me into the, the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. And then verses 20 through, uh, let's see, verse 20 through 22. A time when the secret of God was upon him, but now his communication to heaven was cut off. You remember he spoke of the secret of God upon him, and now he speaks of the communication of heaven being cut off. Let's read verse 20. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. Have you ever felt like you cried upon to God or called, prayed to God, and God just wasn't listening? But God is listening, and God was listening. But that was Job's feelings. He said, I cried, and you know, I wanted to get rid of this, uh, all this problem, this sickness, this feeling, uh, this affliction. And he says, God wouldn't. Uh, uh, God didn't hear me and thou dost not hear me I stand up and thou regardest me not thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand 